Hey everyone, we'll get started officially in a minute. I'm uh, making myself a drink, a little whiskey ginger in a Substack tumbler. So it's like I'm cheating on Colin with Substack every sip I take of this. So pretty scandalous stuff going on here. It's a very crazy Wednesday night. Um, yeah, we'll get going in one minute. You know what? Screw it. Neil, go ahead. Let's just jump right into it. Hey, Jesse. So um, I was busy the last two call-ins with finals and then moving. Um, so I wanted to call in and ask about the, um, the masturbation paper. You know, just to start off with a great topic. Um, because I did kind of want to defend this paper, but then there was the reporting, including on Blackton Reported, about the guys, like, really disgusting ma- magazines featuring, like, real children. And I just, like... Ugh. But I'm a man of principle, so despite me thinking much, much less of Carl the person, I will still offer this defense of the paper itself. I think there's a real clear distinction between like. Hey, someone throw me. Hey, sorry, Neil. Someone throw me a thumb up if you guys are hearing Neil cut in and out. Is that just me? Yeah, you're cutting in and out. Try um, if you can walk to a place with better reception. I do want to hear your defense of the masturbation paper. Here is that better. I unplug my headphones, but there'll be an echo when you talk then. I think that's a little bit better, yeah. Okay, so I, I think there's a really clear distinction between lollicom, like Shotacom, and then pedophilia, and then further a distinction between <coughs> pedophilia and actually offending pedophiles. And there are a lot of people online, especially people in the UK where fictional porn of minors is explicitly illegal, um, that just straight up don't make that. Hey, man, I feel bad. The connection, I, I, I'm, I, I, suffice it to say I'm curious about this, but the connection is just... Um, it's too rough. You're cutting out every other words, and all we're hearing is pedophile. Sorry about that, but but call back when you can. Okay, let me try from another device. Peyton, what is up? Other folks should jump in the queue. Hey, Jesse, can you hear me? I can. Awesome. Um, uh, two things. Uh, the first thing, the first thing is, is I just, I'd been a little bit off Twitter, but I just saw uh, like, like the, the argument slash thing that happened, happened with that guy, guy who was, was like. like like, like calling you anti black and I responded yeah. like, you yeah. should, I was like you should go on Jesse Colin and to the per- another person who was responding who was like he'll like he'll never respond to me whatever and saying that you should pay him for his time and I'm like you should like you should get on this because you have like free access but anyways um maybe he, maybe he won't uh, regardless, I was going, I was calling in because I ended up watching the rehearsal after you mentioned it, like oh, nice. a couple shows ago. Yep. And I was wondering if, if, when you, when you watch this, do you have to like pause it every like two minutes out of like total cringe for the people <laughs> there? Cause I do. I'm like secondhand embarrassed. No, I don't blame you. I think it, um, what builds up your tall, my tolerance for that is the three seasons or whatever it was of Nathan for you. I watched that's like because it's it's all that, but yeah, it's just he's such a master of drawing out the cringe and not breaking character and just letting these socially horrific moment um, moments linger. He's so good at it. Yeah, no, I feel like I feel like it's a good skill to build, honestly, to be able to like sit with a bit of like social awkwardness. Yeah. Um, so maybe the show is like building that in me, but yeah, that's all I have. There's a, well, there's a weird, this is a really weird thing to pop into my head, but I, um, I volunteered a little bit for a suicide hotline in 2009 and they taught okay. you like very, what was it? Was it 2009? Maybe 2010. Uh, when I lived in Boston, Cambridge, uh, Boston, um, 
they this was Samaritans. They taught you very specific skills about how to handle talking to someone who calls a suicide hotline. And one of the you know one of the ones that was hard to master was simply not giving them advice. Like you're not there to give them advice. You're not qualified to. You're not a clinician. But sitting with silence and just letting them collect themselves and say whatever they need to say, like for whatever reason they're calling, was one of the hardest things to master. Because I think. I don't know. It could be something about American culture. We're very talky and extroverted, but I find it very hard to just like sit with a moment of silence and not try to fill it somehow. Absolutely. It's a good journalistic skill too, honestly. That I've, I've said that to people that journalists should, I mean, if you have it in you, you and who am I to say that I had it in me, I haven't done it since, but it absolutely makes you a better interviewer because you just, you don't get freaked out when there's a few seconds of silence. And usually often if you're interviewing someone with something interesting to say, uh, it takes a few seconds of silence to get it out of them. And if you step on their toes, you could you know, lead the conversation somewhere else that's less fruitful. Anyway, that just popped in my head. But thank you for the call, Peyton. Yeah, of course. More people should watch the rehearsal. Learn to live with the cringe. Patrick, what's up? Hey, Je- hey Jesse. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. I wanted to congratulate you on beating Renala of the Full Moon and add to uh, people saying that there's no shame in using Ashen Summons. Thank and you. I was just—I was supposed to be working between dinner and this call, and I was playing that instead. I just beat the um, these crystal caves uh, below Raya Lucari Academy and got some shit. I don't know. No one knows what I'm talking about. Anyway, I've been playing the game way too much. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to ask about the kind of recent uh, controversy with um, Jack Turbin and the AAP's uh, kind of publishing wing. I also saw that there was a Daily Mail article where they're citing some internal whistleblowers, although I didn't necessarily look at sources, so I didn't know what to see about, like, people infighting within the organization. But uh, it does seem like the amount – there is more negative press on this – on the most recent article from Jack Turbin than some of the past ones just because of very obvious, like, glaring errors that you can't even hide – what likelihood do you think that the negative press is actually going to kind of flip back against people publishing, like, I guess, kind of bunk papers? Yeah. Because you could only publish garbage for so long before even the layman without science backgrounds can kind of figure out that, like, oh, this isn't right. This, this is isn't garbage. Right. Yeah. No, it's a good question. There was also – there's an article in the Wall Street Journal. I think that just went up tonight, a column by – Julian Mason, Mason and Leon um, Saper, Sapir, uh, about the infighting at the American Academy of Pediatrics. And they argue that the organization stifled internal dissent. Like people wanted a more transparent conversation about where the organization stood on youth gender medicine, and they just quashed it. So I, I can't confirm that independently, but people should read that column. Um, I think Ideally, this bad paper would be a bit of a turning point because, first of all, it was so bad that folks who otherwise agree with Turbin and his agenda posted a pretty devastating response that um, just pointing out what a ridiculous paper this is. I also think that there's a chance that pediatrics can no longer write this off as like the gender critical feminists and the turfs and the bigots because it's just it was such a bad paper and it's so ridiculous that it got published in a top journal you're really venturing into potential retraction territory i think i'm not saying they will do that i'm saying i'm i I think it would maybe be justified i'd have to think about it but it's in the ballpark so i would think they'll have to be more careful now but i just at this point my um 
my belief in these organizations to do the right thing and to handle this rigorously and transparently is is very low. But I wouldn't be surprised if this did mark a little bit of a turning point because this was a really, really embarrassing uh, incident for them. Yeah. I mean, you always hope things will turn out better, but uh, you, I guess it's just time and uh, kind of time and things seeing. I did see a recent article, I think today on Axios, that kind of made me feel a little bit better where uh, people's kind of views on gender, like in the classroom, other kind of stuff aren't as like they're more moderate than people would be. Whereas, like, I think people are annoyed by it, but they're not, like, necessarily, like, Florida gung-ho want to ban everything, which... Yeah. This was based on, like, survey data? Yeah. So it was basically kind of a modified version of, like, Hidden Tribes, where they, uh, their, their idea was to basically present the questions in two ways, such that, uh, you'd be able to get a more honest answer if it was, like, a kind of private situation, so uh, it was basically kind of showing a reflective change of what, what kind of you would say if it was a public statement versus how you actually feel about it privately. Sure. Yeah, sometimes there's like these social desirability issues where there's like cute ways around it where instead of asking someone, how strongly do you favor X? You could be like, how many of your friends do you think favor X or what percentage of them? So um, anyway, if that's on Axios, I will uh, check it out. Thank you for the recommendation. Uh, no problem. Thanks, Patrick. Justin, what's going on? Hey, Jesse. Hey. Uh, so first of all, I know exactly the cave you're talking about under Raya Lucalia. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I just felt that you, you should know you're not alone. It was, uh, it was a very I, exciting 30 minutes because I, I everyone is going to leave the call in the next 10 seconds. But I found a merchant that had three or four of those gargoyle keys for sale. And I knew yeah. this cave that I could get into with the gargoyle key. So I was like, I bought all the keys and I went in and I, man, it was really exhilarating. I, I need a more fulfilling life though. Cause uh, anyway. <laughs> so a couple of things. Uh, you'll be overflowing with those in not too long. And um, the, there's a quest line coming up after you've gone through what you did that like takes you like from one end of the map to the other. And there's all these kind of intertwining areas. And it's one of the best video game exploration experiences I've ever had. This uh, game's so fucking amazing. I don't understand it. how they made this game this big and like jammed it with. So- I mean, I know I'm, I'm six months late to this anyway. Yeah. I, I, um, yeah. I don't want to alienate the callers, but yes, thank you for, I'm yeah, glad you sorry. recognized where I was. No, I'm clearly happy to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So back to pedophiles and yes. gender people. Who are, are not necessarily the same. No, um, they're not. Uh, yeah, they just happen to be two past topics. Um, I was wondering about this Potemkin science article that you wrote. And uh, first of all, you treat us very well. Your Substack is full of subscriber-only posts, so thank you for that. You're welcome. Um, the the other the so about that article, I've heard people talk about this type of thing, this kind of fracturing, this our inability to come to a shared narrative, as you know maybe actually being a good thing in terms of us no us now realizing how deceived we may have been in the past how, how much weight do you put to that personally um yeah if i, I mean, didn't explain myself well enough no no, no I, I get what you're saying it's like you wouldn't want to go back to a world where there were three major news networks and they were really the only ones with a platform because they could get stuff wrong or they could be captured uh i just right. think we've now gone too far in the other direction and this won't be news to anyone listening but there's like a real crisis of expertise and authority i mean you have 
just on any subject imaginable, complete quacks able to set up shop and get audiences of millions. And I don't, I'm very opposed to censorship. So there's no solution here. And one out of 10 times the quacks will get something right. I mean, there are reasons to distrust mainstream authority. So, um, I totally get what you're saying. I would not want to go back to like the Walter Cronkite days where there's like three acceptable mainstream voices, but I just think the fracturing is going to get worse and worse. I mean, you mentioned the gender stuff and like even just among just among people who are like me, like uh, Liz Warren, Bernie Sanders types, just in our small tribe, which is what, 20% of the country, people have entirely different understandings of what's going on with the youth gender medicine stuff, like like as though they're from different planets. And I just, I don't know. I don't think a well-functioning democracy can sustain that level of like balkanization. But um, yeah, of, of course I'm glad that like anyone with something important to say or anyone who wants to debunk the authorities meaningfully can, can set up a blog and do so. But it's clear that there's some... Uh, you know, negative consequences to that as well. And I think I'm, I'm all for that too. And uh, so I, I was going to ask um, like, what would you, like, what would you be willing to tolerate to help ameliorate this? But I want to actually uh, maybe define the problem a little bit better. Sure. Um, I think that what's happening with the youth gender medicine is this terrible thing of, we are unable to create proper experts. <laughs> Um, and I think that's happening in a bunch of different fields. And then there's the, we are unable to come to a cohesive understanding. And sometimes that's propelled by the fact that the experts suck and we don't, we don't have a clear winning argument, let's say. Um, but also I think, you know, there, there is that, the, we don't have Walter Cronkite anymore problem. Um, yeah. So so by, by create an expert, you mean the sort of, careful, rigorous, dispassionate thinker who will like, who will view their value as just truth and, and, and won't be beholden yeah. to any sort of ideology. It, yeah, exactly. I, I, it seems like a lot of these institutions that used to generate knowledge, just that's not their goal anymore. And so they're, they, they can't be considered experts in, in, in a way that you and I would consider to be valuable. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm clearly sympathetic to this account, I guess, the question is, if you went back to the 1950s, would was it really the case that people like were, were producing genuinely good yeah. knowledge there? You know, that was not ideologically captured. That that would surprise me. I do think, in some cases, the level of politicization within you know the American Medical Association or whatever has has increased, uh, especially since Trump. So there definitely seems yeah. like things are getting worse. I'm just not sure about like the. To what extent maybe if I put audience. it another way, do you think it's it's something that is being revealed to us more now that we have distributed sources of information or yeah. that, that our ability to produce knowledge has started to degrade? I think it's both. I think we're more aware of it and it's legitimately getting worse in some areas. But there's also like it's never going to only get worse. Like journalism, some of the areas where journalism lost its mind uh, in the last few years – things are trending back toward normalcy. So yeah, I, I do yeah. think it's both with a lot of liberal institutions. We're more aware of their shortcomings and there are more of those shortcomings. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think I, I can agree there. Okay, great. Glad to pick your mind on this. Do you mind if I quickly into one other topic? Um, uh, you if you can be quick. Fine. Yeah. I just want to take the other calls. Yes. Be, do the elevator pitch version. Um, there's this thing called street epistemology. Have you heard of it? No. 
it's like conversational style where you ask people what they believe and why, and you, 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 it's meant to be a very patient way where like you were describing with one of the other callers, you just kind of listen and try to understand and then ask questions about how, how did you come to determine this was true? Um, I find it to be very effective, and uh, I think it might be worth yourself looking into in, in some way. It, you might not like its origins, but it's it's there. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think, you know, I really liked um, Strangers in Their Own Land, which I, I think involves a sociologist talking to people very different from her, and that's it involves this patient, non-judgmental, like, why are these folks who's the swamps they swam in as kids where they could catch turtles were destroyed by oil companies. Why do they vote for the politicians in the pocket of these oil companies? But she, the way I just said it sounded judgmental, but she has that kind of method. I just didn't know there was um, that name for it. Anyway, I will Google that. I will look up street epistemology. Cool. Well, you have a good day, man. You too. Thanks, Justin. Mickey, how is it going? Whoop. Hey, oh. can you hear me? I can. Oh, okay. Weird. Um, yeah, I was actually was going to piggyback on something that, that Patrick brought up, just like the confusion and nobody like being able to like lock onto an agreed narrative and everything like that. And I think part of that is just I think we're really getting to the point with technology where we just literally cannot process so many streams of information and so yeah. many topics. Like, yeah. I feel like it's like back in the 50s, it would be like apple pie good, North Korea bad, you know, like a relatively... <laughs> small you know i mean obviously life has always been complicated but now like everything is because every single thing is politicized it's like you have to know how you feel about like you know like what like you know plant-based meats like mean for like you know what party you represent and everything and i just think we're like not evolutionarily built for that but um what i was going to ask actually is um what do you think with the uh, Mar-a-Lago raid? Um, do you, like, if it really comes up, you know, sort of empty, I guess, as far as, like, really actionable intelligence or something? I have no idea if it will. But um, how how bad do you think, like, that could be for... Because it's like we already saw that guy attack um, the Ohio FBI office or whatever. It's like... Yeah. Do you think it... Like, how bad is this? Um... You know, it, it the. I don't think it matters what documents they retrieve or exactly whether or not Trump committed a crime. The, the narrative from like fever swamp right wing sources is going to be the same. This is the whole basis of their continuing support for Trump is the idea that there's a giant government conspiracy against him. I. So I don't think I. I, I think this stuff is just going to get worse and worse. I mean, I, I'm not one of these guys who thinks like we're on the verge of a civil war. I just, it would not surprise me if we saw an uptick in political violence and it's hard to know, like, are you just stringing together anecdotes of people being unhinged? You know, um, the guy who charged at Rusty was American, yeah. right? Oh, um, I don't actually know if he was born here or not. Okay. Well, either way, the guy rushes Dave Chappelle with a knife. There's a guy armed person outside Kavanaugh's house. Yeah. It's just, there's, there's been times in, in, like the sixties political assassinations were and bombings were constant occurrences. So things can get so much more worse. And I'm, I'm worried about that. And I, I don't think the specific facts of the FBI's case, uh, will matter to the, both Trump's individual supporters and the outlets supporting him. Cause like if tomorrow there was ironclad evidence, he was, you know, take a cartoonish version of it. He literally wanted to sell nuclear secrets to the North Koreans. Mm-hmm. 
they would find some reason not to believe that. It just doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. Pretty depressing. Right, yeah. I have no solutions. Yeah. I just point out the problems. <laughs> yeah, and it's what it is. Okay. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, Mickey. Jamile, we only have one person after that in the queue, so if anyone else wants to, you should get in the queue. But first, Jamile. Yeah. Hey, man, I um, I just had a couple of um, cheerful thoughts about the transition stuff and the uh, increasing political violence. Right. Like, <laughs> no, no, I, I know a lot of it seems like stuff that we can't overcome, but eventually they're going to come up with pills that let you switch back and forth with your gender and bulletproof vests that look just like regular clothes. So these problems there are just going to go. Yeah. I would, I would, if I could, if it was fully reversible, I would absolutely take a pill to see what it would like to be a woman. I feel, who wouldn't, right? That'd be fascinating if you, if it was definitely reversible. Yeah. I, I think that like 99% of human beings are going to end up having lived before anyone would have thought that was possible or after it became possible. And I think the reason the kids today are freaking out is because they've realized, you know, there's a generation that's just going to miss out on it where they're going to be really old when those pills come along. And I can't blame them. I for wish, yeah. I wish I knew more about biology. My sense is it would actually be hard to make it fully, you know, the full deal and reversible, but that would be, that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's hard, but it's much easier than, you know, us getting smart about our emotions to species. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, have a great day. Thank you, Jamal. Hey, hey, what is up? Hello, Jesse. Hello. Hello. Hey. Hi, I wanted to ask if you are familiar with these, these uh, new school red pill pickup artist people that are coming out, like Andrew Tate right now. I heard, I just watched a video where, like, some middle school girl was complaining that all the boys in her class, uh, listen or watch Andrew Tate, but I know nothing about the guy. It's, uh, it's pretty bad. Uh, so I was lucky. I was thinking about this because, uh, it reminded me of Jordan Peterson because it's like kind of related to like young men and stuff. And I looked up recently on Google trends, like how popular they were relative to each other. And Andrew Tate right now is five times as popular as Pearson's ever been. Holy shit. That's crazy. Like, he, like it's, he's how long crazy. has he been? How long has he been around? Only like, I don't know, months. It's not that long. Oh, should I write about this, dude? I, I'm. I was calling, to kind of suggest that maybe the thing you. Can dude, if you him. if you Google Andrew Tate, the image of him is like, if you trained an AI supercomputer to produce an image of the sort of person where eleven year old girls would be like terrified that their classmates are listening to this guy. It's crazy. Basically, like what he describes, like the ultimate goal is to become like a a sultan. With like concubines, like you, you have to have like a one-way open relationship where it's like you, you date around, but your women are like have to be committed to you, and like he talked about, like he used to be like a, like a literal pimp, uh, and somehow he's also advocating for like traditional, like return to tradition and stuff. It's very weird, like religion. It's very weird. Um, I think it's like it's very toxic. It also has like an element of uh, what he sells, like a course. Of course he does. Dollars a month. And also it's like, it's like referral code. So if you refer other people to join the course, you get paid. Oh, it's like an MLM type deal. Yeah, exactly. Dude, I went to the tab has a piece on him. In a recent Instagram caption, Andrew revealed he likes to start his day with, quote, hunger and memories. He says, 
I don't have food in the mornings. I don't like the idea of breakfast. Waking up from sleep with instantly available food that you didn't have to hunt and kill. Uh, this guy scares me. <laughs> he is very scary. There's also this other uh, this duo called Fresh and Fit. Have you heard of them? <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm already dreading it, this. It's kind of like, they're like this Miami duo. Where, like, it's, kind of like, it's like red pill stuff. It's kind of like, you know, here's how you meet women. Here's how it's kind of, it's very related and they kind of know each other. Uh, in my opinion, I mean, I, I look back at Jordan Peterson. I think you guys should have been more careful because in my opinion, I think that men really need some kind of like a narrative about themselves that they can get, get behind. The idea that they're just an oppressor is really not going to, not going to fly for the vast majority of people. I no. kind of feel like Peterson with all his flaws, especially now, um, what he was selling was way, way healthier than this. It, it actually was. It's interesting to think about. I, I think I've told this story before, but when I was you know, writing my book where different chapters are on different half-baked social psych ideas or uh, behavioral science ideas, my editor was like, you know, Jordan Peterson's really hot. Why don't you read his book or see if you could do a chapter on him? And I read 12 Rules for Life. I didn't find it particularly readable, but we decided not to do the chapter because there was so little to latch onto in terms of the debunking. It was just like, it was fine. You know, it was self-help. There were obviously parts that are conservative or traditionalist that I disagreed with, but it was pretty vanilla, common sense stuff. And I think there's a chance that, I mean, obviously Jordan Peterson has since gone very crazy, but I do think there's a chance that it's like, uh, I've got bad news for you. If you think Jordan Peterson was as bad as it gets in terms of like the figures dude bros will be drawn to. Yeah, absolutely. And by kicking him out, like he's like the farthest, I guess, right uh, person that they have any influence over. They try to destroy him. Um, but there's people farther right than him that they can't even touch. Like Tate, yeah. they can't they can't influence him at all. Um, but the thing about Tate also, these people, I think that a lot of the reason that they are becoming popular is because, you know, a lot of the sort of uh, dating advice that's common, like politically correct, is it's not it's not adequate to describe people. Like I think a lot of reason they're they'll they'll say stuff like, okay, there's differences between men and women. Men act like this, women act like this, um, and it's obviously. Uh, oversimplified, but there are differences that I think a lot of people are afraid to uh, talk about, and yeah. by not doing that, um, they're giving ammunition to these guys who are going to say, oh, this is how you you know, it's all about uh, Bugattis and, you know, having 20 women and, right. uh, and it's like so... Which is just a ridiculously unattainable thing for the vast majority. I mean, in addition to being you know, disgusting yeah, yeah you should have 20, you should have a harem it's just not something the average dude, especially the average dude drawn to something like Tate can ever attain. So it's like, it's just sort of that style, I think, is sort of false advertising in a sense. Well, they're, they're kind of, if you push them, they're kind of even saying that. They're saying, like, oh, you have to be like a high value man. It's like, it's kind of like they're, you know, saying you can commit to like this uh, natural selection Darwinian system in which only like one of you will survive, but you will like gain all the riches of the world. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's pretty horrible. But I think. To me, I, it's easy to, and I, I, like you were saying before, you were talking about these uh, articles about him. It's very easy to just shut on him as like a misogynist, and I think that's true. Um, and like, but I think the, the part that I think is missing, they need to like explain why is he happening. I think yeah, the, the that's always is, that's always what people yeah, where journalists trip on themselves is it's so important to say Jordan Peterson is an evil misogynist. You don't stop to try to understand his appeal. Yeah, so and to me, I think the appeal of Tate is um, one. I think that men need like a way to a narrative about themselves that isn't it, like doesn't make them feel terrible. It's, yeah. it's not like, and two, I think that 
it's important to accurately describe like dynamics of relationships and dating. And if you don't do that, if you try to avoid things that are unfortunate, you're going to leave room for people to capitalize on what you're not willing to say. Yeah. I'll say like when I was, when I was young and very, you know, even more, even more awkward than I am now, like significantly. So I, um, when I like read a lot of feminist analysis of like young men that does, you know, there are obviously shitty young men. They're obviously literal rapists, but I just don't see my younger self in any of the whole, like men are so entitled thing. I felt incredibly far from entitled. I felt like insecure and a little bit pathetic. And like, I didn't know how to like talk to, I don't know. It's just, I, I, for someone like that, you can totally see how they could get seduced by like, a big strong male presence who is giving them like you're saying a more positive or seemingly actionable even if it isn't actually actionable even if you're not going to be an instagram celebrity with 20 women um that version's always going to win out over the like you're an entitled piece of shit narrative sure and there's even elements of this that is not even entirely toxic stuff like you know you know work hard uh yeah. you know in, improve your uh your career uh you know take care of how you dress, how you prevent yourself. Like it's a lot of stuff that makes sense, but the, then they just go so, so far and there's no, like there's no middle ground person you can point to who's doing it like without the toxic stuff. So these people yeah. just go to these extremes. Very sad, <laughs> but it's crazy. Like the, the popularity of this is like, it's hard for, it's hard to under, overstate how popular this is. It's, it's, uh, yeah. I'm going to try to look more into this. Unfortunately, I think it's going to be very depressing, but <laughs> thank you for tipping me off to him. You're welcome. Take care. Thanks, man. Corinna, how's it going? This is Corinna Cohn, noted uh, internet celebrity and good person. How's it going? Well, Jesse, I wanted to say I appreciated your article on the uh, scientific Potemkin villages. That was well done. Thank you. Uh, so uh, I'm coming up with something out of left field tonight. Have you heard of Open News and the DEI Coalition Slack? Open News and the DEI? I have not, no. Or uh, the person who I think runs it, uh, CC Way? No, I don't think so. I think this is all new to me. All right. I think you might be interested to, to maybe jot this down and, and look into it at some point. But I guess you probably remember there used to be something called the journalist. I was on the journalist. I know. I know I'm teasing. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Something... It's late. I've had some yeah, whiskey. Come on. Well, it's, it's, it's fine and, and enjoy it. Um, the most recent thing that seems to be along that model of the journalist is the DEI coalition slack. And it has a mission for uh, creating anti-racist, equitable, and just newsrooms. Interesting. Okay. So it's at opennews.org. I, I am on the website now. It is. They have a membership process, so not only do you have to be a journalist, but you also have to take a social justice vow and explain oh, a vow. how. Yes, if it, go ahead and take the application for it, uh, see if they'll let you in. They they didn't want to let me in, which is fine because I've I've only had one thing in Washington Post. You probably need two or three things before you're you're considered uh, good enough for their company. But the uh, application process is pretty interesting. There's a this particular is very shibboleth. Culty. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Particular shibboleth yes. with what? 
yes, there's something that you can post onto your Twitter as verification that you are the actual applicant, which is a, a callback to a certain essay on how to acquire social power. <laughs> oh, man, this looks really interesting. They would never let me in. They wouldn't let you in, but uh, they have let many people in from major, major organizations. Interesting. I wonder if at some point, any big group like this stuff eventually leaks, so it'll be curious to see what happens. Well, I'm mentioning it to you because I would like the leaks to happen sooner and more vigorously. (laughs) And I think that if you're aware of it, that if you talk to anyone about it, that might precipitate leaks. Um, all right. This looks very interesting. Thank you for tipping me off to this, Karina. Absolutely. Have a good night, Jesse. Good night. Folks should look up... Um, let me try to find it. Uh, Michelle Goldberg, currently of The New Yorker, did a really good piece for Slate in 2015. The trans women who say that trans women aren't women, meet the apostates of the trans right movement, trans rights movement. That is partly about uh, Corinna Cohn, who was just on, and who's a good person. Last call of the night. Kill Will, what's up? Kill Will. There we go. Now? We're good? Sorry. Yep. We're good. <clears throat> yeah, so that last caller, very interesting. I actually, I wanted to talk about Andrew Tate a little bit more. Sure. I actually just randomly saw, like, like a reel on YouTube or something. I was looking up fantasy football stuff and this one popped up and he was talking about, um, how like he made tons of money. He ran like, I don't know, like some kind of porn site or whatever, but he had live, live models. And he was like, no, you guys can't talk anymore. Cause when you talk about how you live in Dubai or talk like this guy in Minnesota doesn't want to like, he doesn't ever believe he's going to hook up with you. So, they started taking over control, like him and his friends. And they hired some people to like write the girls would sit in front of these screens and, um, and they would write like what they were saying. And he's writing about this and he's like, yeah, it almost kind of felt kind of bad. Cause this guy paid like $200,000. He thought he was going to hook up with this girl and then it never happened. It's just they, like, wait. So they would write like the chat content, right? Like, yeah. Imagine on like, there was a great ar- shit. There was a really good article about this. How a lot of um, there's this whole sort of gray economy of people who it's like the OnlyFans economy, right? Because like, right. if if you're a popular OnlyFans creator, dudes are chatting you constantly, including when you're asleep in your time zone. So these low paid workers all over the world who act pretend to be them in these chats. Is this more or less what you're talking about? I mean. I believe that for sure. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, totally. But this guy's talking about how he got like started making like all his money. And he's just bragging about it like openly. And Interesting. Could you email yeah. me that if it's a YouTube video? Yeah, I'm going to find it and I'll send it to you. Man. And now I'm going to be looking at Andrew Tate and that'll be interesting and depressing. Uh, thank you for letting me know about that though. That sounds, it does sound interesting. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, Jesse. I guess that's it. Thank you guys for joining me on this late night edition of Single Minded Conversations. I didn't even do my introductory spiel, but at this point, who cares? Uh, thank you for listening. As always, I would just ask you if you enjoy what I'm doing here to spread the word. JesseSingle.substack.com, blockchainreporter.org, and this show. 
Uh, thank you guys, and I hope you have a good and pleasant and peaceful Wednesday evening. Farewell.